What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dragzine Podcast. I'm your host, Senior Editor Brian Wagner, and this week we've got Street Outlaw star Scott Taylor. Scott, what's going on? What's up, man? Thank you for having me on. No problem, man. No problem at all. Great to have you on the show. I'm sure you're uh, you're breathing a a small sigh of relief after that grueling schedule, but I know you know people see in the background or the listeners might not hear this on the you know if they're just doing audio only. You're taking a small break from racing, but you guys are full tilt busy working on the car, right? Absolutely. You know, it's everybody's uh, sent me messages saying enjoy the break, you know, but I mean, it seems like we're having a break, but it's not a break at all. It's it's actually very brutal. Um, we got done with the schedule for NPK and that was many weeks straight. We'd have a few weeks off and then we'd do another four weeks straight. So that was brutal. Just keeping the car running. Well, we had about two to three weeks to prepare for America's List that's going to be filmed uh, here pretty soon, in the next few days, actually. But uh, so I've been working nonstop on the old car, um, the ones that can see. It's uh, John Doe. It's behind me here. But um, we had to switch it back over and get it ready for the street as we had took many things off of it to get through the NPTA schedule of the other car. So if it was on here, I had robbed it. If it said fuel tech on it, it was in my trailer for a spare. If it was a pro charger or a Hemi, everything on this car was off of it. Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of the, the nature of the game. When when we saw the uh, the schedule come out for MPK, that, you know, the first thing that popped into my mind was these poor cats, man. Their their maintenance schedule is just out the window at this point because they've got a lot of back to back racing, and that's definitely not a not easy on the pocketbook or the maintenance, right? No, it was it was very brutal. It's the hardest thing that I've ever had to do in one season. Uh, I think it was 15 races. And, I mean, with the funding that we have, you know, the budget that we're on, it was very hard. I mean, we had to basically super glue some things together just to, just to make the next race. Oh, yeah. I, I saw some pictures of the cars towards the end. I'm like – you see those pictures, and if you know the cars, you know what's going on. You're like, man, th- those cats are just doing everything they can to, to keep that rickshaw moving down the road at this point. Yeah, yeah. We had a – we brought out the new car towards the end of the season, and we had a uh, unfortunate deal. We had a uh, a fire, and, man, it was it was very hard to make the next week after having the fire. We had to totally redo all the wiring under the hood. Um, you know, it got the engine – they would just fire is tough because you don't realize what all is burnt. You start tearing it apart and, you know, fuel lines, oil lines, air, you know, CO2 lines, you know, shock sensors. I mean, just everything is burnt up and, and the things you didn't think was burnt up somehow got shorted out in the fire and it burned it up, even though it didn't look burnt up. Yeah. Fire is awesome for, you know, finding stuff and breaking stuff that you don't realize <laughs> is broken or you think you fix, you haven't fixed and you just, you know, it might show up six months later, even after you think you have it fixed, you know? That's right. Absolutely. That's, I don't wish a fire on nobody. That's a, that's probably one of the roughest deals that I've ever had to fix. You know, we've bumped into the wall. We've had some small light hits, but one thing about wrecking a car is you just about know what's wrong with it. You can look around and see what's wrong and you can fix it and go from there. But with a fire, it just, anything electrical, it don't, it don't like fire. No, no. Yeah. It's, it's one thing to let the magic smoke out of electronics, but it's even worse to like expose electronics to their molar, mortal enemy heat. They don't get along. Yep. Yep. Heat and voltage surge and, and just a touch of a, a short. They don't like it. No, no, no. It's I despise electrical problems with the fury of a thousand white hot suns. It's just, it's, it's, there is no easy way it seems to ever diagnose those issues ever. That's right. That's right. Even when you go by the, the classic saying, it's got to be a ground, check your grounds. And then it's absolutely infuriating after you check all the grounds and that's not the problem. You just, you want to throw, you want to throw stuff at the car. Absolutely. I've, I've been down that road before we've had, you know, electrical issues and, and of course, everybody suggests it's a ground issue. We've, we've, we've grounded the heads and we've, you know, run extra grounds from the back of the car, to the front of the car. And, and it's usually never the problem for me. It's usually something else, but that's the first thing everybody suggests. Did you check the grounds? Yes. All the grounds. I've made new grounds. It's not the grounds. That's right. <laughs> 
Now, you know, new pre no prep racing has really been gaining popularity in what we'll call it the mainstream for the past couple of years. It's been around for a while and you've been doing it for a while. Kind of what's the story? How did you get into no prep racing? Because it's not your typical uh, drag racing path for most of us. Um, we've street raced since we were kids. Uh, uh, me and a friend of mine, uh, Jared by, he still races and tunes to this day, but me and him, when we were in high school, you know, even before we had our license, I, we were, we were, uh, getting anything we could get our hands on and racing it on the street and playing and having fun. And, and that's sort of where we got our start. Um, I always went out to hub city dragway, which is a local track It's closed down now, but it was local to me here. And, uh, me and another friend of mine, we had been street racing and we'd been caught and, you know, we, we were trying to stay out of trouble as much as possible. Uh, cause we live in a pretty small town and we thought about doing the backwards racing, you know, racing from the shutdown area, um, back towards the starting line. And we talked about that for four or five years, um, probably at least four years or so. And then we ended up having one, I think it was like. 2014 we had our first one and man we loved it and from there it just we went from backwards racing to no prep racing pretty quickly it's funny i used to honestly thought no prep racing was the dumbest thing on earth until i went to one and then it clicked i'm like I see where I'm like, oh, this is, you know, like street racing but I don't have to worry about running from the cops Yep. And there's EMTs and fire trucks right here. I'm like, all right, this, yep. this is smart. And that's, I, I think a lot of people get a, a bad and wrong idea about what no prep racing really is because they kind of concentrate, oh, you're going to wad a car. I've seen bracket racers crash on very well prepped surfaces. You can crash no matter yep. where you are. It's, it's, yep. It presents a different level of challenge in racing, I think. It, it absolutely does. It's a, you know, the skill level of the driver obviously is, a, I feel like a, you have to be a little bit better driver to, to do the no prep deal. Um, you can wreck anywhere, though. I mean, I don't care if it's radial racing or bracket racing or no prep racing. Like you said, you can wreck on any of those surfaces. Um, but I just like the challenge. I mean, it's challenging to go through anything on a track that they just – swept off they didn't put any glue down they didn't drag it you know they just swept it off and we went racing and and to lay down some of the licks you know i've been i've been 380s on nothing i mean absolutely nothing and that's just crazy if you'd asked me say back in 2014 or 15 if i thought anybody would go 380s on no prep i would say it wasn't possible um we went we were going 440s back then and so I thought we were flying and it's, it's just kept getting faster. And it's, it's interesting again with, with no prep racing is that you'll hear, Oh, well, you know, they're, they're getting a lot of rubber down on the starting line, this, that, and the other, which is absolutely true. You put enough cars down any surface, anytime you even look on the streets, you're going to see people putting rubber down, but you got to remember the entire racing surface isn't like that. And once you get out past the, uh, the safety and comfort of those first 60 or so feet, you're where Eagles yeah. fly and you got to have your stuff right and tight. If you want to keep go fast and keep it right side down. That's right. I mean, yes, the starting line does get sticky and, and just like what you said uh, on the street, guess what? You know, the starting line gets sticky, but you know, 150, 200 foot out. That's where it gets sketchy. Uh, you better have your car, right? You better know how to drive. Uh, are you going to get in trouble pretty quick? Yeah. And it, you know, it, it kind of really brings that phrase to mind that Shannon Morgan says, you know, no hero shit. I mean, that, yeah. that, that, that should be the motto for drag racing, no matter what level you're at, but no prep racing. I have seen people that run out of talent and real estate in a hurry. And that's when you, that's really when you get in trouble, in my opinion. It is, you know, and I'm, I'm guilty of probably driving it too far and, and to pick up a win, but I just, when it gets real bad, I try to, I try to lift, you know, I try not to push it too far. Uh, every time when I suit up, that's the main thing my crew guy Art tells me. Um, ever since he's heard that, you know, from Shannon, he, uh, when I suit up, he gives me a fist bump and uh, he says, no hero shit, you know. 
And I tell him, I said, well, I may have to, may have to use a little bit of it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe not Superman, maybe Batman, right? Yeah. I may have to use a little here because he always tells me that, you know, and we're going up on it with a first pair down and it's been raining for four days, you know. I'm like, well, it's going to be pretty rough. You may not want to watch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just avert your eyes past the 60-foot <laughs> mark because things are going to get weird. Absolutely. Absolutely. He, he said I – he said, I'm used to signing my name on the racetrack. He said, it was like an S when I go down through there. Yeah. Uh, and I've watched from the starting line. And it, it get, honestly, at times, it could be hard to tell the difference between a pro mod prepped race and a no prep race, depending on the driver and, and the surface and the power level. Because these cars that the horsepower they're making, they're going to get fussy no matter what. Absolutely. Absolutely. They're, they're a handful, you know, will make it's crazy you know we'll make two or three passes it don't even bobble and then and then we'll make some passes that we did good to make the trip you know that it's it's tough making uh repeating without pedaling you know that's that's our goal was not to have to pedal the car and you know you mentioned you, you did some street racing you've raced on the show on the street as well as on the track in a no prep setting you know, which is harder and kind of what are the differences between the two when it comes to driving and tuning? Kind of let's talk about that a little bit, because I think some people might I don't know if they necessarily get confused or they might not understand that there is there's a big, big difference between the street and the track. Absolutely. Um, you know, there's crowns on the street. Um, there's rocks. I mean, you never know what you're going to be racing on. Uh it's definitely a tuner's game. I feel like it takes uh, some of the money out of it. You know, I think it's more who puts in the most work, who tests the most, um, and who is very good on, you know, tuning. It's just, I mean, from shocks to, to four link to power management. It's the street is definitely the equalizer of a million dollar race team and a hundred thousand dollar race team. Oh, totally. It's, it's funny to watch, you know, if you go back in time and I've had Chris Hamilton on the show, I've had Kyle Loftus from 1320 on the show and you watch some of the, the OG, the original street outlaw action before it was a show when there was a rather large dark skinned man in the pickup truck that sounds a lot like big chief with his face blurred out, you know, talking about what's going on. You see these cars that you see now on TV trying to boogie on the streets and it's a completely different game trying to get down like that. Absolutely, it is. And and my favorite part about it is is how much of an equalizer it is. That's I would rather race on the street year round, but for the fans of the sport, we do it at the racetrack. And because I tell you, could none of us afford to do it uh, without you know our support group, you know our fans. Um, when we go to the racetrack, everybody really supports us and, you know, everybody's buying merch year round. So that's the reason we do it at the racetrack. As far as fun, what gets my adrenaline pumping uh, is the street. It's amazing how it feels to go to a town you've never been in and unload a car on a dark road. There's nobody around and you don't know the, what the next road is. You just know you need to make a test pass. And I tell you, the adrenaline's pumping. So that's a – unfortunately, I've, I've never been on drugs, but I would imagine it's, it, it's about like a drug because it's, it's very addicting. It's interesting that you, you word it that way because, again, it's one of those uh, – what's that phrase? If you know, you know. When you've been to a legit – like I say oh, legit, yeah. <laughs> sketchy street race, there are not – you don't want to see a lot of people there. It's just the crews and the cars. That's it. Anytime I see more than the bare minimum people at a street race, I get nervous for safety. And the more people know, the more likely that, you know, Johnny Law is going to show up, right? Absolutely. You know, I would street race more if they didn't have so many people at some of these cash days and stuff. You know, when you when you pull up and there's 150 spectators and and 25 cars, you know, 12 of them's racing, the other ones are just trying to make test passes. Typically, I can tell you right then, the race probably ain't going to happen. No. You know, too many people. So, I like just lining up and running one-on-one and, and and getting it done and going back and talking about it, hanging out, and maybe do it again if they want to do it again, you know. And it's safety, too. I mean, there's been some unfortunate, tragic events happen when you have too many people at street yeah. 
in the wrong places. I mean, that's, there is no way around it to say it. Otherwise, illegal street racing is very dangerous. Shouldn't do it, but we do it anyway because, you know, we're not the sharpest knives in the crayon box. But yeah, that's, I think, where no prep track racing comes in because, you know, on the TV show, you can't have people there watching. But when you guys go to the track to race for an MPK event, that's when you can actually interact with your fans in a semi-sane environment. Absolutely. Um, that's the fun part about, you know, NPK is uh, we get to see everybody that's been supporting us all year and we get to shake their hand and talk to them and, and let them see, you know, what we do to the race car every round. Um, most people don't understand the amount of work that we do just in, in 45 minutes between rounds. They, you know, they think it, we just cool it off and go back up there. You know, for, we do an hour and a half work in 45 minutes between rounds and on the street thing you know all the the safety deal i was pretty adamant about it um there was never any crowds when i first started street racing it was just me and somebody else and a few of our buddies street racing well in 2014 or so when we started doing it on a bigger scale they would be people lined up down the roads and oh yeah that's bad news and that's what I told them, you know, uh, BJ was doing the flagging at the time down at the pad in New Orleans. And I told him, I said, look, I'm not leaving the starting line. I said, I'll sit here all night. I'm not leaving the starting line to at least these 300 people are behind me, you know. And he started waving his light around saying, hey, the man said he ain't going to leave until y'all move back. And guess what? People started moving. And I'm super proud of him because he has sort of kept that deal ever since then. You know, he – he keeps tries to keep people safe and makes people move back for the most part. Yeah, it, race cars are unpredictable no matter what surface they are on. Especially, you know, even when you're no prep racing on a drag strip that the conditions change, things change so quickly that, you know, like you were saying earlier, you could be consistent and not consistent. And having that extra layer of safety there is super important. Absolutely. You know, if, if, if I wreck and, and, and flip in a ditch, you know, that's me. But um, I definitely wouldn't be able to to live on myself if I injured somebody else. You know, you know they they're sort they should know better not to stand at the eighth mile. But also, I should know better than sending a three thousand horsepower car down with somebody standing at the eighth mile. And you know, talking about a three thousand horsepower race car, you know, you talked about it's tricky to run on the street. Well, what's tricky about trying to no prep race on a drag strip where people think that there's you know a lot of traction there, but it's, it's its own different animal, right? It is, you know, the track is, can be as tricky as the street. I know that sounds crazy, but so what happens like the first 60 to a hundred feet, maybe even 150 feet, like we were saying, it gets sticky. Well, the next 150 feet or next 300 feet, you know, is not sticky. So, so we got the tire all wadded up because it's stuck to the racetrack. Well, then it comes unglued. You know, so that's a tough point to get through, and it creates tire shake. Um, if you look at all these cars, NPK, all the quarters are busted. You know, there are cracks everywhere. Um, it's tough because tire shake is brutal when you go from, you know, the, the surface is not consistent. So it's very brutal on the race car and the driver. It, it literally feels like somebody's punching you in the kidneys when it starts tire shaking. Nobody has to tell you to lift, I can tell you that. Yeah, yeah, and that's why I, I've talked about this before. You'll see nitro drivers and top alcohol drivers wear mouthpieces and even pro mod drivers because tire shake will blur your vision. It, it It's like a, a very disorienting process, and I've seen cars tire shake on a prep surface so hard that they rattle doors off, and that's within the oh, first yeah. 60 feet. Um, yeah. Like, for, for viewers and listeners, imagine that you're at full tilt boogie, that converter's locked up, all the power's in, and then it tire shakes. That's the recipe for not a good time. Yep. And it breaks everything. I mean, you can you can break a crankshaft from tire shakes. So think about a billet piece of steel, you know, that breaks from tire shake. That just lets you know how violent that is. Oh, and I'm sure that you guys have to address that in your power management on the vehicle as well to kind of like, you want to basically be able to kind of like 
feather in that way if you get into that tire shake i'm assuming that way it's not nearly as violent and jarring to the entire car it's tough you know because typically people monitor you know wheel speed um to get down the racetrack so they're they're trying not to allow the wheel to spin too much and so there's nothing that really protects you from it underspinning really. So when it underspins and the tires really gets distorted, it starts flapping and starts shaking. So that's a hard thing to, to get rid of in the tune-up really. The tire shake is probably the hardest thing to get yeah. rid of. And, and that throws everything off, throws suspension off, makes the car do want to do wonky things. Whereas, you know, on the street, you're pretty much fighting constant slip, right? Which is a little bit easier to deal with. Absolutely. You know, as long as it's not a terrible, terrible road, it's easier on the street for me because there's you take the tire shake completely out of the equation. Yeah. You look at it, it's like uh, old school nitro cars, you know, back in the day when they used to do 1,320 foot burnouts. It's essentially a more controlled kind of tire slip almost, right? Absolutely. It's a controlled spin all the way down. And even though it's spinning, it's still going fast. I mean, you never know what the street's going to take until you make a pass on it. Um, some, you know, we've had streets that we couldn't go but 5.0 on, you know, 5.20. Um, and then we've also been on streets that we went 4.30s and 4.40s on. That's like, that's so hard to wrap your mind around, especially, you know, the numbers you were throwing out for, you know, running in the threes on a no prep surface is just, that to me is, amazing considering how much like th that's the ultimate i think balance between horsepower and power management to be able to get down the track it, that quick and fast absolutely and and what really blows on mine is i'm saying i'm just guessing here there's over 10 cars in the npk that runs faster than 390s i mean that's what's crazy never oh. did i ever see that happening and again, it, it, you see, you got those 10, but the, the thing is the 10 below them would have just as much of a possibility to win because when you're going that fast, that, that window of opportunity to not make a mistake shrinks, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I got beat a couple times this season. I'll just say it. I mean, it's uh, cars that run four twenties. Uh, I got out there and the car shook. And, you know, headed towards the center line and I had to lift, you know, and then, and if you have to pedal one time early in the run, a 420 car will drive around you. Yeah. You've lost all your momentum. Yep. Yep. If you have to pedal before 200 feet, it's over with. Now, if you're out three, 400 foot, you can pedal and get away with it. But if you burp the throttle in the first, first 200 foot, it's over with. Yeah. And again, it comes down to like we were talking about earlier, not being a hero. You know, if, if there's a boatload of money on the line, maybe you might get a little bit brave. But the problem is that uh, bravery on a no prep surface is a quick way to find your car in the uh, chassis shop. Absolutely. Speaking of bravery and money, I'll tell you a quick little story. <laughs> um, we were racing for a big amount of money. Uh, it was twenty thousand dollars per side. And it was one pass. And the guy helping me with the car, his name was Jody Halley. And uh, I'm getting ready to pull in. I've already done my burnout. I've done everything. So I'm getting ready to pull up to the line on the street to race. He opens the door and he sticks his head up to my helmet and says, hey, man, don't worry about it. You know, don't be a hero. It's just money. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, 20. so he reminds me we got $40,000 pot as I'm staged. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So. It's uh, it's tough sometimes because we do run for some big money. That don't happen that often, as far as that much money. But that was a long time rival grudge race deal that just got out of hand. But yeah, that that's a, another part I think of the, uh, the the no prep racing and grudge racing kind of how they intertwine as well. Because I, I've seen at some events uh, some extracurricular non pot cash ex exchange hands anywhere from a couple hundred dollars to a, a couple grand sliding back and forth and it, it it can go the way that you don't think it's going to go because again that surface makes it the great equalizer absolutely you know it's uh it's 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 crazy how much money does change hands and um i'm surprised you know there's not more gambling than there is there's a good bit of gambling but i'm surprised there's not more than what goes on actually 
Yeah, it, it, I was at one of Duck's races for that big race between J.R. Gray and uh, the uh, other gentleman uh, had the, I always forget his name. Chris Toot was driving that white Corvette of the guys. J.R. was driving Ghostbusters or uh, Jason X. And the amount of money that changed hands, that one race is like, it's Bitcoin. That's cryptocurrency money these guys were throwing around. It, it was amazing to watch. And I, it, it made my stomach hurt watching those dudes lose money. I couldn't imagine being the one that's got to hand over that, you know, stack of cash. Yep, yep. I'm trying to think of what race it was the other day that was, uh, it was like a, it was 1,000th or something. And it was huge money. Um, and that may be the one you're talking about. I was thinking maybe it, it may have been Stevie Fast, but some they had a huge grudge race the other day, and I looked at the margin of victory, and it was like 1,000th or something. It was crazy. Oh, that was uh, Stevie Fast and Scruggs down in Texas. Okay. Yeah, was it like 1,000th or something? It was something crazy. One 1,000th um, of a second could cost you tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah, I don't remember exactly what they were running for, but it wasn't change. It was major money. Yeah, yeah, it, it was definitely uh, more than the down payment on the Toyota Yaris, right? Absolutely, yeah, you could have you bought you a fleet of them. Right on. Well, we're going to take a quick break here on the Dragzine podcast with Scott Taylor. When we come back, we're going to talk about some of the misconceptions people have about the Street Outwall show. We'll be right back. Thompkins is excited to introduce the Evolution Hydraulic Roller Lifters, the first lifters ever created using our patented hydraulic cartridge technology. CompCam's Evolution Hydraulic Roller Lifters are a revolutionary new patented tape tappet. They provide the most consistent and reliable performance of any lifters offered in the aftermarket. A combination of self-contained hydraulic cartridge with a thick wall lifter body and accompanying reduced oil volume that is less affected by oil aeration delivers the most consistent bleed rates between each lifter on the market. You can learn more at compcams.com. All right, we're back here on the Dragzine podcast with Scott Taylor, pilot of the John Doe Tracto series of vehicles, as seen on TV, no prep kings, and street outlaws, New Orleans, regular street outlaws. It's like I think there's a million on one street. They might do street outlaws on my own street at some point. Nothing wrong with that. It's just it's awesome to see the way the brand has spread, and it's really honestly impacted drag racing in a positive way. Now, what I always find highly entertaining are some of the keyboard cowboys that put stuff out there about the show, and we're going to play a game with Scott where he tells us about his favorite misconceptions that people have about street outlaws and what actually goes on the show. Scott, let's hear about some, some of your favorites that you see that just like when you, when you're in the know, they make you chuckle. Uh, probably the biggest one is a lot of my fans, you know, fans and non-fans, I guess you'd call that haters. So fans and haters, some of them will post, you know, just let discovery buy you another motor. You know, <laughs> you, you crashed your car, let, let discovery just buy you another one. Man, it does not work that way. I mean, we are working on our own dime. Yes, yes, we make a few dollars doing it, but it's nothing to buy a race car with. I mean, it's it's enough money to get there and and keep us racing. But uh, so that's one of the biggest ones. You know, the other is people think it's scripted. You know, <laughs> that's that's, that, that's probably my number one. Really, if I could change the order of them. Um, my number one deal is people think it's scripted. Well, I can tell you, I've been working to about three or four in the morning for the last two weeks, getting this car ready and the John Doe car, getting it ready for the street. And I can tell you with the amount of work and time and effort that me and my crew does to get there, it's not scripted. We're not laying down. I can tell you the racing is 100% real and the passion that I share uh, with these other guys we race with is above anything I've ever seen in any sport. Now I'm going to say something and I want to, again, going along that line about the misconceptions to maybe help people understand you could agree or disagree or correct me that what you see on the TV, as far as the, we'll call it the drama that is to a certain point, I'm not going to say scripted, but put together in a certain way to make it interesting because you have to do that to make the show interesting. But the second those stage bulbs are lit, it's it's as real as it gets, right? 
Yep, absolutely. And even that drama, it's not scripted. The rules for NPK are set to maybe cause a little drama. That's what I would say. So it causes itself. So they just film what's, what's, what's happening, but they didn't script for two people to fight. You know, they didn't tell Bobby to jump on Larry Larson or no. Larry Larson to jump on Bobby. Well, the because the tree deal, it, you know, you can guess and get away with it. You can get a four-tenth advantage. Well, when he guessed on Larson, you know, Larson told him before they even raced, he said, look, you guess we're fighting. Well, that don't scare Bobby. So Bobby guessed, and then they fought at the end. So I had to break them up. You know, it's not scripted. It's just the rules almost, you know, entice you to, to run into a few problems along the way. Yeah. And again, it's like, I, I remember I've been to two of the no prep King events. I was at the Bowling Green race years ago, and then I was at the Columbus race this year and there'll be, and I've, you know, we did the 10 K drag shootout. So I know how this stuff is put together and you have to do like for back a little terms, storylines. If you just put out there, like just the raw footage of people being filmed and whatnot, and just kind of let it flow naturally it would be as awkward as this TV show, The Office, 100%, honestly. It would just, it would not be nearly as interesting. But you take the personalities and you don't have, trust me, you do not have to wind some of these guys up. Some of them, well, maybe some of, some of them might need a little bit of prodding, but (laughs) it's not much. Some of these dudes are like, you know, I'm I'm friends with Goad. Goad cracks me up. People get the wrong impression about that guy. I think because of the way he's framed on the show, he's a super nice dude. But trust me when I say it does not take much to light that man's fuse and he will give you what you want. But at the end of the day, he is absolutely as genuine as they come, as well as a lot of you guys are. Absolutely. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, it's not scripted, but they can also show a side of you that may have happened just for an instance. Yep, exactly who you are but maybe you said something and they called it maybe out of context a little bit or something like that things like that do happen along the way um but far as scripted it's definitely not scripted storyline i mean yeah like you know team nola versus oklahoma you know that's a storyline but they're not telling us what happens or what to do or you know anything like that but they come up with a storyline and we just fall into that storyline you know yeah, it, uh, it, it develops naturally, and they just ex- they accentuate it on the show to keep people interested. Because trust me, there's multiple storylines going on with all kinds of people, and you find the one that is literally the one that's going to get people interested to watch the show and you know root for so and so. And you know, it, it it's again, it's interesting to watch how it happens, but it's it's definitely a big misconception that everything is scripted and winners are predetermined. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. They, they definitely, uh, they definitely push us to be, you know, as best as we can be and, and as fast as we can be. And like you said before, the, when we light the stage, Bob, it is game time. I don't care if it's a team NOLA guy or if it's Oklahoma, um, we all feel the same way. It's a drag race. Yeah, there, there are no team rules like there are, you know, or team orders like allegedly there have been in other racing organizations given out that cause drama. It's that, that I think is what makes the show to me so interesting is that it captures that vein. And I've said this before, to me, Street Outlaws filled the void that Attitude Era WWF had and WCW had without the scripted drama. It taps into guys wanting to see like that that mindset of storylines with competition that, absolutely that's, that's what it is if if you'd have told me we would be this far in with street outlaws i would have said it would have never made it this far i figured it would be a three or four year thing and it would be over with um i would have to look back but i think i'm on my seventh you know uh contractual year with them and I'd have never dreamed it would be this far in, but but next year is looking like it's going to be the biggest year we've had yet. I mean, we've, from what I understand, and, and don't hold me to this number, but I'm hearing like 17 NPK races next year. And 
and I know the schedule hasn't been released, but I think there's a track that accidentally leaked where one of the races was going to be that I'm excited to see it's coming back to that location because it's a great location. We won't mention it here because I don't want to get Sam mad at me or anything like that. <laughs> if people are smart, they can put the dots together and figure it out. So we won't spill the beans, but from what I've just that one location alone, you can tell that again, it's, it's about trying to, accentuate the racing really and the personalities it is they do a fantastic job of keeping people interested i mean you know they film us doing whatever we're doing working on the car and 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 somehow they make that interesting and that's that's their that's you know they do a good job doing that you know because a lot of times just working on a car is pretty boring but they pull out the best of us you know uh when they're when they're trying to make a show out of them and switching gears here, you know, racing in the outlaw world, you visit some interesting tracks and see some wild things. Doesn't matter whether you're prep racing, no prep racing. There, there's I always joke about this. There's stories about on the road, getting to the track of what you've seen. You know, what, what are some of the more memorable, interesting things you've seen on the road doing no prep racing and just, you know, at tracks, things like that, that, you know, people would be get a kick out of hearing. Uh, I mean, we've had goods and bads. I would, you know, ups and downs. We've, uh, you know, we've been some to some of the greatest tracks in the country. Um, one of my favorites, we didn't go there this year, but one of my favorites is uh, Bristol. Man, I love racing at Bristol. Just pulling out on that racetrack makes you feel like a million bucks. Um, but we, we've got to see, you know, landmarks that, that my kids would have never got to see. We've, you know, been Statue of Liberty, the Arch. I mean, we... We've been all over the country sightseeing, you know, because everything's close to a racetrack because we've been to every racetrack in the country just about it. Um, one of the downs would be this year um, we were headed to a racetrack and a drunk driver um, collided with us in the toter home. That was a very, very bad deal. It could have been a lot worse, and uh, that was our – misfortune this year you know we just got a new toter home or new to me toter home and i can say that the drunk driver deal was rough and the guy was he was livid i mean he was super mad at everybody and and to see all that go down it was probably one of the craziest things i've ever seen they he was hitting the officers and it was pretty bad oh so, so, so you got the full cops experience yeah like i was i was sitting in the rv looking out like looking through the window like the window was gonna protect me you know but i mean this guy was going nuts and uh but yes it, it, we basically filmed an episode of, of cops <laughs> yeah pro, pro tip kids don't fight with the police because they don't fight fair all their friends jump in you're not gonna That's win right. they the cops are always gonna win <laughs> Yeah, you, you might get a couple good licks in, but it's like dealing with security to track. You might before get a, it's over with, you're going to hurt. Yeah, and I have seen that at events at some some. We won't name the facilities, but I have seen some places where the fans have decided that they wanted to uh, mess around and find out with security, thinking that they were a little bit bigger and tougher than one security guard. But when security guards' friends showed up, they had a bad day. <laughs> yeah, my my kids had a. Um... Uh, I got twins. They're 11 years old. Um, but they had a report, you know, for school. I, I told them, I said, just pick, pick one thing that we did this summer. Don't, don't tell them everything I said, cause they won't believe you. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they're not going to believe you went all these places in one summer, but that's how busy our summer was. You know, kind of going stories off the road. What, what, do you have any fun fan interaction stories? You know, I, I've seen, again, I've been to these races and seen people wait, you know, you guys out there signing autographs for three hours. I've seen people present to you like in Columbus, the dude with the individual special made baseball cards, scale models, sign my wife. I've seen some wild stuff. Literally, I know I saw a guy ask someone to sign his wife. What What are some of your interesting reactions or fan interactions? Uh, it may be crossing a few lines, but I'm going to go with this one anyway. Um, so I'm standing at the back of my trailer and – I won't say what town or anything we were at, but we were at a racetrack and uh, we were completely sold out of merchandise. I had sold everything we had. And um, uh, a lady walks up and she asked and I said, look, we're, we're totally sold out. You know, I said, if you have something, I'll be happy to sign it or, and well, anyway, she, she proceeds to pull down her top 
and my wife comes out of the camper and she says, keep on moving lady. So she, my wife did not allow that to happen. <laughs> so that was one of the, one of the ones I'll never forget anyway. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say that's uh, th- th- there's a lot, a lot going on there and that, uh, that could have ended a lot of different ways. Yeah. My wife is uh super nice to everybody, but she didn't, she didn't like them being out in front of me. Yeah. She, uh, that, that definitely, uh, pro- yeah. Like you said, that crossed a couple lines and it's like, eh, you know, I like, like the enthusiasm, but let's dial it back a couple notches. Right. Yeah. And I put the, I put the top back on the marker real quick before she saw me. No, I'm, yeah. kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's that. And again, that's one of those things that happens where people like, it's hard for people to grasp the crazy stuff that happens on the road and you see as a racer, right? Yeah, it's wild. I mean, we've, we've, um, I've signed, you know, um, legs, feet, shoes, dog collars. Uh, it's great really. I mean, to, you know, for people to, to want us to do that shows the support, you know, for our sport and it's 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 fantastic the enthusiasm that some of these fans have have you ever run into a fan that is not exactly a fan or it gets angry because you beat their favorite driver because that's one of the cool things about no prep king or no preparation in general and with the street outlaws is people are passionate about who they like and if you beat the person that they like they might take issue with it yeah uh probably the only time i've ever had anything like that happen it was i would call it a misunderstanding as far as what the fans saw but um it's definitely old i hate even bringing it up but uh when me and jeff lutz got into a little staging duel up in the mountains um some of the fans in the stands didn't really understand what happened um see he double bulbed me he turned on two bulbs i didn't have any on and the tree was falling really quick that weekend. So I felt like I was at a huge disadvantage if I staged. So I had them back him out. Well, believe it or not, the whole stand started booing me for backing out. They didn't realize what had happened. And so I had this one guy like heckling me at the trailer, you know, so I'm, I'm still signing autographs and taking care of people and I'm still in the race. Well, he would just, he kept coming by the trailer, just, you know, you suck, you know, just like he just kept heckling me all day long. And, uh, well, anyway, the next year we went back after he saw it on TV, he come back and apologized to me and said, I had no idea he double above you. So it, it's crazy. You know, when they saw it, how it actually went down, they, they sort of changed their, their opinion a little bit. That's wild. That's definitely, again, it, it's the passion that these fans have that, and what's cool is you'll see a lot of them get hooked into drag racing in general because of the show. And then guess what? That dude might be a rabid John force fan screaming at Matt Hagen because he doesn't like the fact that Matt Hagen was drawn at John force. That's what the, the, what people need to understand what street outlaws brings to the table. It brings more people to drag racing. I definitely agree with that. You know, um, I've had many people message me, you know, what would you do to this car? You know, what, what engine would you put in this car or what we're in? A lot of people that have never been into, you know, motorsports at all or any kind of classic cars or hot rods. Um, I'm getting calls and they're buying parts and they're, you know, I think it's good for our industry as a whole. You know, uh, there's a lot of people doing a lot of things with cars that I don't think would have been doing it. Exactly. Well, we're going to take another quick break here on the Dragzine Podcast. When we come back, we got more with Scott Taylor here right on the Dragzine Podcast. Add serious horsepower under the hood of your 2018 to 2021 Ford Mustang GT 5.0 Coyote V8 engine with a new system that requires no modifications from Edelbrock products. The new E4 Stage 2 Supercharger for the 2018 to 2021 Mustang GT 5.0 Coyote V8 utilizes the high-efficiency Eaton TVS 2650 rotor assembly with a high-twist lobe design along with larger bearings and more robust timing gears to deliver an ultra-smooth and linear torque curve with more usable performance at all points in the power band. This kit includes a 103mm throttle body, high flow 113mm air intake system, upgraded 50 pound per hour port fuel injectors, an 8 rib supercharger belt drive, and a plug and play fuel pump voltage booster. 
A black powder coated finish provides the ultimate underhood appeal that installs easily without modifying the hood and makes an excellent bolt-on investment. You can learn more about the Elderbrox E-Force Stage 2 Supercharger Kit for the Ford Bay Mustang GT 5.0 2018-2021 V8 engines at elderbrock.com. All right, we're back with Scott Taylor talking no prep kings, all kinds of fun stuff. Now, you, you were doing the Dirty South deal for a while. Are you guys still doing that? Uh, we are. We just had one in Odessa, Texas. Um, I think I, I won the race, but I think that may be the first one of my own races I've ever won. Uh, um, but I won over in Odessa with a new car. That was the first win with it. Um, we didn't have a great turnout, but we had a good turnout. We had, uh, we had a good racer support and, um, and a decent amount of spectators. We had a good time over there. It was uh, opening day of deer season, and they had a few things going on in that town, but, but it was a good event. Uh, we used to do, you know, five, six, seven a year, but with uh, no prep kings, it's been tough. I mean, when there's 15 no prep kings races, there's no time for Dirty South. So, um, unfortunately, um, we're only going to do two next year. We're going to do one uh, at the end of February at Gulfport Dragway. Um and then the other one is to be determined, but it's going to be in Texas. See, I got to go to one of the, when I worked for speed video, we did one of the dirty South races at hub city. And uh -huh. that was like the first no prep, big, no prep race I actually went to. And again, the atmosphere at these smaller promotions like that, when I say smaller versus something like a no prep Kings or uh, yeah, outlaw Armageddon or, you know, one of the really big races, the smaller events bring out just as many, I think, fans. And the to me, it's like a it's like an NHRA divisional race because you get a lot more of the we'll call them the sportsmen, no prep racers that might not go to a bigger race because they don't feel they're competitive, but they want to come out and participate. And it's really mm -hmm. wild to see. Yeah, we had a good time with it, and that's how we sort of set out to do is give everybody a fair shake at racing and we do the real deal no preps i mean it's a you know we're not showing up their racetrack that was glued three days before um it's everything that i do you know me and mike and chad for his dirty south it's when you get there you know it's going to be a real tricky no prep surface to go down and that's what makes people interested in it and the fact that mike's involved which is pretty much take any semblance of sanity and just throw it out the window because i mike Marillo is one of the when you say character in racing that, oh, yeah. that guy it, that, i had to do it was actually one of the the that dirty south race i had to do we there was some downtime i forget what happened they're like do a live interview with mike i had never done anything like this before and that was pretty much like there's no what, how did Ricky Bobby des describe it? It's like I was floating outside of my body. And, you know, literally that's what it was like. It was like, what's going on here? Because Mike's just all over the place. You never know what he's going to say at any given moment. I don't care if you're in front of a church or just small children. You never know what's coming out of Mike Marillo's mouth. Uh, me and him were taking a picture with a lady. And um, we're always poking fun at each other about being bigger. And, um, he, he he leans his head forward, and, and the lady's in the middle of us. And uh, he leans his head forward and looks at me, and he says, suck it up, buttercup. Well, the lady sucked in real quick, and we both died laughing. We wasn't talking to her, or he wasn't talking to her. So you never know what's coming out of Mike Gorilla's mouth. Oh, 110%. Mike, Mike is the kind of person that will say what's on his mind and then ask for forgiveness and say he's sorry after it's happened. Absolutely. That that's his whole motto, actually. <laughs> and, and as you know, I, I'm sure that the discovery team, when they go over to him, it's like they say a Hail Mary. They're like, all right, let's see where this is going to go. And it just absolutely never know what direction he's going. No, no. It, yeah. You don't know where it's going to happen. And that's what makes it fun. And that I think is what represents like no prep racing, the dirty South and all that is in general is just the the outlaw, unpredictable nature of it. Absolutely. It's um, you never know what you're going to get. That's a fact. Yeah. It's like, well, it, literally, it's like a box of those random chocolates. It's either going to be 
a tasty treat inside or you're going to be biting into a atomic sour you don't know yeah it's almost like bamboozled yeah <laughs> now kind of going off of that you know no prep kings street outlaws has been massive pat you know thousands of literally thousands of fans at events a huge global following you mentioned you're in your you know seventh contractual year what's it been like to be on this rocket ship you know, looking back now to kind of look at it from a higher level, you, you're literally being a part of history. What's that been like? Uh, it's been, it's been really good. You know, it took a little bit of getting used to, I mean, far as the, you know, spectators and fan side of things did I, I never thought that anybody would want my autograph. I mean, never in a million years. I mean, I'm just an old street racer slash bracket racer, anything that had four wheels, I was racing it and, and to get to this level, I feel like, you know, it's been a huge blessing, right place at the right time kind of deal, you know, and it's been great. I, I had no idea that it would ever go this far. And one thing it did do, it allowed us to improve with our equipment. Um, I had 700 horsepower engines, you know, 14, you know, in 2014, 2015, and now we got 3,200 horsepower engines. So the side of that side of it, it really improved our program is what it did. And again, it, it comes down to the fans and getting to, you know, like I said, your kids are going to get to tell stories. You know what, what, what imagine, you know, flash so many years in the future when your kids have to do an icebreaker at work and they say, you know, they say two truths and a lie. And they have to, you know, my dad was a famous drag racer. We did all this stuff and people are going to go, oh, that's the lie. And then they can bring up like, oh, really? And they just bring, you know, they're like, Google search my dad. You know, that, yeah. that's got to that's gotta be pretty cool. It's, um, they definitely have a, uh, you know, if if I was a kid and got to do what they do, it would be awesome. So I'm, I'm thankful they get to travel with me some and get to do these things. Cause it's, uh, they have an amazing childhood. Do they have the racing boat too? You know, believe it or not, they like watching. They, they haven't really, you know, showed me that they want to race yet. I actually got them a junior dragster and believe it or not, they didn't show a ton of interest in it. And, and that's one thing I'm not going to do. I'm not going to force them to do it. So, um, I think when they get a little bit older, they probably will, but, uh, they're, they're 11 now. So they like it. And, and believe it or not, my son just came out in the shop a minute ago and helped me for a few minutes, uh, work on the car and, and, uh, he's starting to show a little bit of interest now. So some people have to, you know, put away for a college fund. You might have to start putting away for a promo fund. That's right. That's right. Hey, uh, by the time he's about 18 or so, uh, I'll be ready to let him drive one of these things and I'll watch. And, and you know what? Honestly, the best part about that is that it's a great way to keep your kids out of trouble when they're into racing in cars because they're only going to be at probably three places, home, working on the car, or at a job funding the car slash racing Absolutely. the car. Absolutely. I guarantee you these race cars kept me out of a lot of trouble. I mean, when I was younger, I used to like to go out and like all young kids, I like to go out and party and, and, and do things with their friends and, and go out to the club. And then as soon as I really got going into racing, I was about 19 when I started really getting into cars, like fast cars. Um, I was spending every dime I had on them. So there went the clubbing, there went the going out, uh, if, if we was going to do something, it was going to be my friends coming over to work on a car because because we didn't have no money to go anywhere else. Oh, and, and racers, it was funny. My my wife and I went on a trip to a Chimney Rock National Park or State Park in North Carolina. I was wearing some drag zine gear. Random person in the elevator goes, are you into drag racing? Told her what I did. And, you know, she's like, oh, you know, my husband races this, that, and the other. She looks at my wife and goes, racer wives need a support group for what we have to go through. And I, I was going to say something, but at the same time, I was like, you know what? She's right to a certain point. But I was like, also, you need to look at it as a blessing because it's a built-in babysitting service for your husband. He's not out drinking whiskey and, you know, chasing women. He's going to fine. That's right. And, and, you know, I agree. You know, the wives really, really do go through it and put up with a lot from us. In 2000, the first time my wife went to the racetrack, um, 
was girlfriend at the time, but uh, she went with me to the track, and we literally, I made about 350 bucks a week in 2000. Uh, that was the year I graduated. It's so my first job, my, my first real job, um, full-time job. Made 350 a week, and we went to a racetrack, and it was a two-day race, and we stayed in a tent. So um, she's put up with me, and we've come a long way from there. So uh, she definitely deserves a award just for putting up with me. That's why when people ask me, you know, what, why did you do – why are you doing such and such thing? I'm like, listen, my wife puts up with a ridiculous amount of stuff between me and my delinquent friends. If she wants me to go to a Broadway show, if we're going hiking, we're going to a state park, guess what? When mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. And that doesn't mean you get to go racing. So you got to make sure and take care of mama, right? Absolutely. You know, it, uh, she's been, she's been good, stuck by my side. You know, we've been, we've been slap broke, you know, racing these cars. And then we've, we've been, you know, on the, on the better side of things. So she, she hangs in there good and bad. And that's what you're supposed to do. So, well, we're winding things down here and I always like to have fun with my guests and ask all kind of crazy questions and, you know, kind of mix things up. So your question for you, Scott, my question for you is you have to build the ultimate no prep team as an owner. You can't drive. You get to be the Don Schumacher of no prep racing. You get to assemble this crack team. That's going to go out, snap necks, collect checks. Who's going to drive. Who's going to tune. Who do you want to have on that crew that you know that are no preparation crews? Because Lord knows we got some characters and some good wrench tuners out there. And you get to pick a car. Whose car are you racing with? So who's your driver? Who's your tuner? Who's your crew guy? And who, what's your ride? Uh, I'd probably have to go with uh, Daniel Pashar as the driver. He uh, He's actually on my crew now. Um and I let him drive the John Doe car sometimes on small tires, but he's probably one of the best drivers that, uh, that I've seen out there that just hasn't got a huge break. Um, he does really, really well. Um, his brother is my tuner. So I've, I've got to say Craig Bashar is a tuner, but I would like to, I would add one in there with it, man. He is just a legend, but, uh, Steve Petty, man, is, is awesome. Uh, put those two together and it'd be great. And then I would keep my stain crew. Art Art has done great for me, and uh, I'd probably add in a, a few more. Um, Randy Williams guy that, that he brings with him does really well, and that guy he's going places. Uh, Todd Butterfield. Uh, I may have said his last name wrong, but his name's Todd, and uh, he does great. But that would be my all star team. Uh, and on the car, that's a tricky one. You know, if I had to just pick the fastest car out there, you know. Um, I hate to say it, but I'd probably have to pick Ryan Martin's car, man. He he does good. He's the only person that I can say consistently beats me more than I beat him. Um, if I didn't have my own car, which I like my car, but if I didn't have my car, it'd probably be his one I'd pick. Fair enough. That that sounds like a killer crew. And like Ryan's stuff's like clockwork. One, you know, Javi does yeah. a great job keeping that thing going. I mean, those guys like they are good across the board because a lot of people seem to forget that Ryan just didn't appear in the drag racing scene. He did a lot of racing before and is a, he's gone some round at ducks races too. He he's an all around driver. You know, th those guys got their Absolutely. act together. Absolutely. He's a good driver. And, and, you know, talking about an all-star team like that, you know, it's tough. It, it would be tough for me to, uh, to own a team, you know, that I didn't drive for, but if I had to pick somebody, if I'm not driving, I'd want Daniel Pashar driving, but I, I definitely would want to be driving. <laughs> yeah. It's hard. To, it's hard to stop that itch, right? Yeah. It's like pick a driver beside yourself. That's like, man, that's hard. <laughs> well, Scott, our time here is coming to a close on the drag scene podcast. And I like to give my guests their opportunity to channel their inner John force and make sure they thank all their sponsors, tell people where to learn about their cars, where they're racing and whatnot. So Scott, the floor is yours. My friend, tell people, who helps you, where they can go to learn more about you, what you got going on? Um, all of our social media stuff on Facebook, uh, you know, Scott Taylor Motorsports. Uh, we also got a YouTube channel out. Uh, but definitely thank you to all of our sponsors. Um, Keith Superstores, Boot Country, Iski, uh, Pro Charger. There's, there's tons and tons of people help us. That's our main sponsors. I don't want to 
leave a ton of people out. Um, Ray Star is stepping in this year and uh, and Renegade Fuels. But um, there's tons of tons of sponsors. I'm sure I'm leaving them out, but but check our page out and and we post our sponsors very often. And uh, if y'all can use them, please do because they support us and uh, that's what keeps this thing going. But uh, our next our next stop right now is uh, going street racing. So. Definitely check out Scott's Facebook and website because he definitely plugs all the sponsors on there, which is awesome. Got to give an extra shout out to Iski, Nolan Jamore. Been friends with Nolan for a while, worked with him. He is, you, you talk about a company that is steeped in racing. That dude goes to more races than some actual race drivers do. So they are definitely, they, they are not, they don't just talk about it. They are about it. Absolutely. hundred percent. And, uh, he has come and stayed with me for two weeks of filming on the street. I mean, he is, he's a hundred percent in and he takes care of a lot of racers. Awesome. And of course I've got to thank the sponsors. Allow me to come on here and have fun with people like Scott performance distributors, airflow research, pro charger, Holly, MSD, Flowmaster, Mosier engineering, comp cams, Elderbrock, fuel air spark technology, manly JE pistons and dart. Scott, it's been awesome having you on the show, and uh, hopefully we'll see you soon at the track. Man, I appreciate you having me on. You was a little bit more prepared on the sponsors than me, but uh, but I definitely want to thank all of our sponsors, and thank you for having me. Talk to you soon, Scott. All right, man.